as you're sitting there, what comes to mind, what's been stimulated by the um, discourse so far, or the experience so far, Uh, anything popping up that you'd like clarification on. And if you do, just uh, put it in the, the chat box and I'll take a look at that. So a question here. I talked about wrong mindfulness when we are stuck with painful memories. Can you say once more how to get out of it, please? Okay, well there's a quite a renowned sutta in the middle length sayings. I think it's 120. It's called Dealing with Disturbing Thoughts. Remember with thoughts, it's a bit of a topic as to what thoughts really entail. It's called the um, Vitaka Santana Sutta, the 20th Sutta, the middle length sayings. And uh, I won't go through the passage because the repetitions get a bit turgid, you know. But essentially the Buddha is saying when your mind gets stuck in what's called an unskillful nimitta. So I'm going to use this word again because it does crop up from time to time. Um, so, so what's a wrong thought and what's a right thought? What right? And we're looking at the particular um, qualities that arise with that thought or that mental direction, that mental trajectory. Not just a single thought, but a sustained trajectory of grudging or obsessing or fantasizing or, you know, you know, <laughs> what it does. And then what happens is this grip starts to take over. And this, this is the, an animita is one of being held. And sometimes the Buddha likens it to being dragged towards a blazing charcoal pit by two strong men are grabbing you and throwing you into this pit. So this is what it's like when the obsessive mind takes over. So he says, when this occurs, you should disengage your mind and pick up um, a skillful train of thought. So it's a deliberate action of disengaging from that by picking up a skillful mental theme, which could be a recollection of the um, suffering of other beings, gratitude to your friends and relatives, or just attending to how does my body feel. So he says, first of all, you can just pick up an alternative mode trajectory of thought. If that doesn't work because your mind is still stuck in that mode of thought, then you can um, interrupt it again. And uh, notice, reflect on, this thought is really doing me harm. Because I know it, I can feel this sense of tension or tightness or being inflamed or just being tangled and messed up. This is the nimitta, feeling tangled, feeling congested, feeling fired up, feeling overwhelmed. That's that's a sign. This is doing me harm. Stop. Then you may not be able to stop because the reflex is now just firing. Then you should turn your attention to your body. Walk up and down. Walk up and down. Get into your body. Stand. So sometimes I'm just dislodging it by changing the energy in your body. So if you shift your body around, the energy changes. But 
primarily you shouldn't just sit there obsessing with it. So stand up. But at the same time, you don't drop mindfulness. You say, okay, let's be mindful of the whole body standing and recognizing when I'm in this obsessive state, the only bit of my body I can feel is a kind of vague sense of something around my head. And now what's happening in my knees, or my feet, or my ankles, or the ground? Okay. Breathing out. So then using the body as something that more or less jams the frequency of the obsessive thought pattern. Then turn it around. And then look again at that that which caught me, that's dangerous. That line of thought is dangerous. What triggered it? So then you look into the, well, she did this, or that really interesting. So you begin to see the, the lures, the hooks that are out there in the sensory field that catch your attention and start dragging you in. So you get insight out of it. Um, also, if you know how what you're doing, you can begin to study the thought process, slowing it down. So you're thinking of all these grudges, you know, so and so, they're terrible people, and never, let's think of, and it's just, okay, just think it through slowly, like, oh, nobody looks after me, she's terrible, ungrateful person who doesn't look after me at all, they treat me like dirt. You say it slower and slower until it becomes ridiculous. And then you because <laughs> it's like somebody else is speaking. Because it's not exactly the thought, it's the energy underneath the thought that runs. Yeah? So you have to break the energy pattern. If you break the energy pattern, the thought falls apart. Painful memories, things you've done wrong, things people have done wrong to you, you know, either of those, regret, mm, grudge, mm, hurt. Okay, true in a way, but that's not happening now. It doesn't have to happen now. And you're not going to clear it by continuing to brood on a bit. You're not going to clear it. So there's got to be that sense of enough now. Enough now. This is an unskillful even though the thoughts are true in a way, the energy behind them is unskillful. It's going to bind me into misery. So you change the energy, thought begins to just be a thought. You can remember it, if you like, but it no longer grabs you. Of course, all of us have things we could probably remember about ourselves and others that are not very agreeable, not very good at all. If you want, you can go back and think about it. Yep. But it... You don't have to, you're not obsessed with it. So you break the energy of it without dismissing the thought. You break the obsessive energy that's using those thoughts to cause you suffering. And these are ways in which you do it. Don't get too distracted by the thought itself, but this firing, this obsessive quality is, in anything, is the problem. I don't know if that's helpful or not. I mean, this is something we could do a whole retreat on, really. Just this alone. <laughs> so, you know, I can give you an outline in five minutes, but, you know, just catch it again. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Withdraw from the energy. Open your eyes. Move your body. Don't be angry. Don't be upset. It's okay. 
slow the thought down, break the thought with a breath, break the thought with a body movement till you've broken the continuing tide of energy underneath it. And don't linger in the thought. If you, if you, if it continually brings up this obsessive tide, then you should deliberately turn away from it till you can begin to understand it. You can get on top of it and you can understand it. The difference between piti and sukha. Piti is the translated generally as rapture. Perhaps that's a bit extreme for many people. It's a refreshing sense, zest, refreshing sort of. Ah, you know, you just stepped into a cool bath if you're hot. You're just taking your boots off after a long walk. Oh, you feel freshened. It's a zestful, brightening quality. And sukha is more like comfort. Oh, relaxed, easeful. So they generally go together. It's called piti sukha. So they're generally strung together as a refreshing sense. And if you linger in the energy of that, lingering, lingering, don't make more of it, it begins to open into a quality, it suffuses, it suffuses, it suffuses, the mind is refreshed and contented, easeful, sukha. And this possibility, <laughs> suffusion, you see, that's something we don't necessarily know about. We know about aiming or directing or withdrawing, or grabbing, but we don't know about this slowly suffusing. And that's the skills that can occur when the chitta is, is naturally steadied and clear of these heavy encumbrances that make the energy run out or jolt or grab. The energy then begins to just suffuse like water travelling through a sponge. You know, like water travelling through a sponge. So that's then yeah, everything feels pretty nice, comfortable. This is sukha. And this is equated with the first jhana. And this image is used, very similar image is used of the somebody making up a ball, having powder, soap powder and water, and mixing them together into a foamy, spongy, frothy pad to bathe with. And he said, this is like how piti and sukha drench, suffuse the entire body and the mind. So one is more zestful, bright, one is more subsided, cool, sukha. Can you tell the style and benefits of your qigong? Um, <laughs> the style. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I tend to be rather idiosyncratic on practically everything, really. Uh, but I started off with Baduan Jing, the eight brocades, and I picked up other bits and pieces from other qigong teachers and, and trainees, and I've sort of, you know, sort of. Um, you know, practice with various elements of that and sometimes I run a few moves through or sometimes I just do one or two or sometimes I just do one or two and just do Zhang Zhang which is just standing still standing still with arms in particular positions so those are the styles that I use benefits well um, yeah many uh, I think physical benefits it certainly greatly 
healed some damage in my spine. I had broken vertebrae, crushed discs in my spine. And so without really doing much about just standing, the body energy moved through the spine and has rebuilt it, has redesigned my spine, which I'm grateful for because it makes sitting much easier than when it was all twisted up. So it seems to somehow move through the nerves in that area of the body and they've gradually regenerated aspects of the body. So you can remember the body, you know, we look at this thing like it's just an anatomical specimen, there's bones, there's tissues, it's kind of set. It's a living thing. It can, it can, it can change. It can change. And what changes it is energy. You know, energy, as your body is open to it, it can do incremental subtle changes to to the physiognomy and not just that the actual physical structures change you know? and breathing is enormously helpful you know? particularly breathing through the nose very helpful because it helps the entire head to open up and i, I don't want to go into all that right now it's a it's a digression but uh, there's this is the ben- one of the benefits of Qigong. Other benefits are, for a start, it's not willful. I mean, basically, Qigong, the motto is 70% of energy is, is maximum, never more than 70%. So you're always just kind of doing things in a pretty relaxed way. It's great to do things, particularly, well, certainly I'm, that's quite a lot of intensity in action, just do things that are just moderate, rather than boom, boom, stretch, push, run, you know. So exercising without exercising. So it changes certain psychological attitudes, which I th- certainly in my mind, more is better, more effort better. So no, no, no. Balanced effort best, balanced effort. Receptivity is important. So with Qigong you learn, there's the action, but actually the action is only half, of the product, most of the product is done through being receptive, allowing, allowing change to occur. You just do a little bit of action and open up and let the effects of the energy work by themselves. So this is a great psychological shift. And um, uh, certainly in my experience, transformed the experience of the body. You know, so I think my previous experience of the body had been very much inside a body, mostly up in here, head, and now with Qigong, it's feeling like, oh, the physical body sits within something bigger, an energy field. This physical thing sits within a larger energy field. And so that when you're doing your meditation practice, you just open into the energy field. And it's extremely spacious, and it's uh, subtle, and it's happy, and it's refined. And you've got that, then you don't really, you know, you're, you're comfortable with that. You don't want stimulation because you have that. So it's another big shift that Qigong, I find, I found, helps with. And certainly, you know, practicing meditation, what does that mean? Just be mindful. So you do Qigong mindfully, that's called, that's meditation. Okay. In terms of awareness of bodily sensations, do I understand, understand that we don't only want to be aware of these? 
but also the nervous impulses and energies that inform these sensations. We're not just making these the main or only focus. That's the way I understand it. Okay, so very simply and over simply, not sensations, but energies. The energies that sensations uh, inform or arouse or rise upon. Um, and also you can have energies without sensations. <laughs> you know, just energies that start moving and they're more like, you know, there's no particular sensation, just feeling, feeling vitality, feeling space, feeling uh, balance. What's the sensation? I don't know, I just feel it. You know? Because this is not associated with sensations, really the tactile impressions on the surface of the body or within the body, you know, where teeth grind or something, where physical structures are meeting physical structures. That's sensation. Mm. Even the sensation of your breath striking your nostrils is something touching a physical, right? Now, we think maybe that's <laughs> that's not the only way you can feel things. So when you say you feel a sense of vitality, Now you might associate that with, yeah, when I feel a sense of vitality, my skin feels more open, my chest feels more open, my eyes feel brighter. But actually, those sensations are the byproducts of the energy. It's the energy that's, that's allowing those, that's supporting those sensations. Hmm? Do you get what I mean? When you feel vitality, you maybe feel a sense of brightness in your face, but that's the result of the energy. Sensations aren't causing those energies to arouse. Because as you, if we look at it in terms of the nervous systems, we have various divisions of the nervous system. And one of them we call the autonomic, or the peripheral, the parasympathetic, the sympathetic, and the voluntary. There's all kinds of subdivisions. But there's only a portion of that that we actually have some control over and that's associated with operating the physical body or receiving impressions. Some of it's just associated with fear and your gut starts to seize up or joy when your chest starts to open. And those are internal. They're associated with uh, mood shifts. Right? So certain parts of your physiology begin to light up not through sensation, but just through the movement of energy. And the movement of energy is triggered by welcome or fear or aggression or love or sympathy or... Hmm? And it reads it and then that body lights up. It receives the message and those energies start moving. And those are not because of sensations. Okay? The thing is that breathing in and out covers all of it. Really, that's why it's so interesting because it's both something you can deliberately do and you can do pranayama, you deliberately do it and that's part of pranayama, deliberately doing it but the idea is you only do it deliberately so that you kind of really stimulate this prana. In Anapanasati you don't do it deliberately. But, uh, in other words, what I'm saying is the breathing, the vagal nerve can be something you directly control you can stop breathing for a moment to rest it. But it also operates 
you're asleep, it still keeps going. You know, you're driving your car, it keeps going. You don't have to operate it. It'll also operate automatically. So it's both voluntary and autonomous. So in a way, it, it covers the entire nervous system. And it's associated with um, calming the brain, the amygdala and the hippocampus areas of the brain, which are with places that light up when we get panicked. So steady breathing actually has a neurological effect on the brain and through the whole of the nervous system, which, as I said, covers the entire body through the viscera, around the heart, through the tissues, the cells. Everything is woven up with neural tissue. The heart itself is 60% neural tissue. It's not a pump. It's a sensitive organ. 60% of the heart is about neural tissue. Right? And it's sensing something as an intelligence. It's reading something. It's in dialogue with the brain spinal cord, your guts. You've got more nerves in your guts than you've got in your, in your spine. What are they doing? Well, you get frightened. They'll tell you what they're doing. They're going to start to grip and clench. Right? That's to do with your power and your, your, your sense of belonging to the earth. Right? It's to do with your gut level. If you lose that, things start to tighten up in your belly. Right? Then the breathing actually can go into your belly and relax that and soothe that. It can go into the heart and open it. It can go into the brain and calm it. So that's what we want to focus on. These effects, then your body's going to calm down and feel comfortable, then your mind settles down within it. Now the only thing I would say about, I don't want to dismiss sensations altogether, because energies are kind of sort of, they're, they're sort of, they haven't got clear edges to them. They suffuse, they spread like mist, or like fire, or like water. Sensations are good for training your mind to just hold a point, to sharpen up, to not be flowing all over the place. You've definitely got a thing you can track. So okay, that's good as a bit of exercise, like you know, physical exercise. You just sharpen your attention, and then, but then ideally, if you sharpen your attention, you say, listen in behind the sensation. What's causing that breath to rise? And when the breath stops. You feel the subtle continuing of energy past the end of the inhalation, coming up through your eyes. And, you get, and how it turns, how you breathe out. You feel the sensations of the breathing. You breathe out and it, those sensations subside, stay with it, stay with it, stay with it. And you feel energy just drifting down through your lower body. Of course, you've got to be pretty open and relaxed to receive all these impressions. But the beauty of it is you get a very calm sense and it's no longer directed by your willpower. It's directed autonomously. See, this is where it becomes almost effortless because the body, you know, does it by itself and all you have to do is maintain attention to it. Maybe we'll go into this more. Um, uh, please confirm mindfulness of the body is not feeling the body from the outside because that is something tactile but rather feeling it from the inside well I think I was exploring the phrase kaya gata gata sating mindfulness directed to or immersed in the body which is more to do I'm suggesting since it seems counteracting the tactile 
impressions. We image of the post, the tactile impressions pull us out. Mindfulness immersed in the body keeps us centered. So what does that? You know, where do you go for that in your body? Right? You can have it directed or immersed in somehow in this. Well, what do you mean in it? In my stomach, in my lungs? No, in your energetic presence. Yeah. Okay, so but that isn't the only way you can use mindfulness. You can if you look in the Satipatthana Sutta, you can look at mindfulness, you look at a dead body, you think, Wow, get that, you know. You're mindful, that's a dead body. You look at it and you think, this one's going to do that too. Right. <laughs> so that's an exercise of mindfulness. You can look at it externally, like that. Or you look at it internally. Or you look at it as both ways. So sometimes they say, you know, mindfulness internal, mindfulness external, mindfulness both internal and external. So the external manifestation of mindfulness is to do with the anatomy you can regard it, this physical thing, which is the nature of the skin changes, the hair changes, it breaks up, and it's used like that, um, which, you know, is, is a pretty sobering kind of message. But in the internal body is a joyful message. And that's kind of what it's about, really. Let's move into the happy aspect of this bodily thing and move out of the death-bound aspect of it and the decaying aspect of it. Four Tatras and Panasati Sutta correspond to one of the four Satipatthana. Each one does, yeah, each one of those Tetras corresponds to one of the Satipatthanas. It essentially integrates the four Satipatthanas and the seven awakening factors. Yep. My question is, which practice is precursor for other practice? Um, Well, precursors can be um, recollection of the parts of the body, so bringing a sense of distaste and dispassion towards the sensual form. It can be reflection on um, death, pretty sobering reflection. It can be practicing, reflecting on loving-kindness, spreading loving-kindness and goodwill throughout the world. That's another essential practice, very helpful practice. Um, Contemplating impermanence, noticing everything changing. So all these can blend together and it depends on your disposition. Mm. So the person who's a bit sort of giddy and excited maybe needs to focus a little more on, on death person is gloomy and miserable needs to focus perhaps on loving kindness or even on reflections on the beauty of awakening and the devotion to the Buddha lifts the heart. person who is adult and thinks too much needs to just walk up and down a bit <laughs> uh, or stand still. Just simple, you know, settle it down. And all of these have particular qualities and they all bring up mindfulness, investigation, energy and so forth but um, this one, Anapanasati, he says this brings it all together into this fruitful blend. On energies versus sensations, how do we shift our energies from sensations to energies when we find ourselves in an uncomfortable situation? Well, 
I don't know what sensations make you uncomfortable. I think probably most people's discomfort is on an emotional level. Don't you think? You feel embarrassed. You feel lost. You feel ignored or unwelcomed or not treated very well. So those aren't sensations. Those are mind states. And sensations would be something like toothache, headache, um, itch of some kind. If that's what you're referring to, the physical sensations, um, then you want okay, you've got to reflect this is the nature of the body. It's not mine, it's doing its thing. And um, if my energy continually obsesses with these, starts getting irritated by them, depressed by them, it does me no good. But if I withdraw my energy from these painful areas, there's generally somewhere in my body which is not painful. So we widen to include the entire body. And uh, the entire body um, as an entirety, as one entirety, has this ability to um, balance. So one area is particularly painful, it's extremely hot or tangled or tight, Okay, let's extend awareness to the entire body, the soles of the feet. In a way, they help the energy in the afflicted place to diffuse, so it no longer keeps impacting the mind. Now, there's not so much we can do about physical pain. Some things we can do, but we can't do that much about it without medication. But what we can do is not let the mind get impacted, obsessed, overwhelmed by it. You do this by marginalising the physical discomfort. So, okay, I've got a headache, but my feet are fine. Why don't I focus on my feet, legs, knees, hips, chest. Generally, you find around a painful area is a tightness around a painful area. Like a, uh, can I release that tightness and let the pain flow through the body? which sounds counterintuitive, but actually it helps the discomfort to subside because the whole body receives those disagreeable impression and begins to dilute it. Because now, you know, if 5% of your body is in pain, 95% isn't, well, let's include the 95%. Then the percentage of impact on your mind is lessened. And you can see similar thing to unpleasant thoughts. Um, I'm wondering if the chitta has a reflective capacity like a mirror. Sometimes I sense that patterns arise in this chitta that are reflections of contact with the patterns or sankharas of people around me. Yeah, chitta has a mirror-like quality. So it's sort of like fundamentally there are sort of two basic properties of chitta. One is the energetic property. This is always stimulated by feeling and perception. It sort of rises and it buzzes around and it surges and it soothes. And there's also a quality of chitta which is just knowing, awareness. So we might say if we take, rather than a mirror, we take a lake. Take a lake of water and you can see it's both reflective. If you drop a leaf on it, everything shimmers, so it's both reflective and sensitive at the same time. Right? A lake, you can look in it, nice image of your face, then you drop a stone in it, boop, 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 ripples, it breaks up. 
So it's both sensitive and tending to ripple and shimmer and it's also reflective. (laughs) And the reflective aspect can notice the rippling. Oh, you're aware of your rippling. So this is called pajanati. One is directly knowing. Not interpreting, not thinking, but just sensing the chitta now is moving. What is it that knows the chitta is moving? The chitta knows the chitta is moving. Mm. Mm. It feels it. It's aware of feeling it. Now, it can be the case that, um, you know, energies being what they are and people being what they are, we can pick up a tense atmosphere in a room. You know, there's a lot of tension. Maybe you're just reading body language or silences. Or you pick up energy and feel a bit tense here. Is that me or is it them? I don't know. Tense, tense silence. Not a, not a respectful silence, but a tense silence. Mm-hmm. Or there's an angry mood in the room. Feeling, people feel quite angry or frightened. Mm-hmm. So you can pick these things up. Because jitta has no boundaries by itself. We we create boundaries around it, but it actually has no real boundary to it. It just extends. The boundaries are created by a quality called attention, which kind of limits it. And as your attention widens, because you feel secure and safe, you're able to both receive more without getting overwhelmed by input. That takes practice. I have a cautionary note about how much you want to pick up from what's around you. Because uh, there's a lot of stuff out there. And good to have a good, strong anchoring uh, of your energies and your sensitivity in your own embodiment. So you don't get pulled out or overwhelmed. Okay, well, some more. Mindfulness of energies. How to be mindful when the energy is pleasant but faint. Or when awareness itself is not bright or strong. To note the gentle energy. Well, if you connect it to your breathing, linger in it, and sense, can you sense your breathing? Because the energy of breathing, its nature is to cover the entire body. It's the leader of what's called Kaya Sankara, which means your your embodied energy. So the breathing is the leader of that. That's the one that the rest of it will tend to gather around. If it doesn't, you've got some problems. Because energy just starts scattering this way, that way, and zipping up and down your spine or running out. So... Yeah. Um, so you want to maintain that quality of keep your mindfulness of breathing practice, the energy of breathing in out strongly to the forefront and let the rest of the energy gather around it. If it's not strong, it's not strong. And uh, <laughs> it tends to become amplified the more that you linger in it and enjoy it. Enjoying is a way of strengthening things, generally. 
energies, if you enjoy them, they get stronger. If you think about them, it doesn't do them any good. If you think about them too much, it doesn't do energy much good. But enjoying energy tends to grow when you enjoy it. Be careful what you enjoy. Because <laughs> energy certainly lights up when you start to enjoy. Do you know how to enjoy meditation? <laughs> Do you know what that's about? It's about moving from a small position, wider position, lingering, receiving, you know, letting go into an energy and mindfulness of breathing is the safest energy to do that too other energies can be mavericks so be careful be aware of that when I get a certain level of samadhi it's so comfortable the mind gets drowsy well we need to uh, uh, give a bit more attention to Mindfulness, focus. So this can be strengthened by deliberately measuring. So it's like a sort of sort of silent conversation. Now it feels strong. Now it feels rising. Now it's in the body. Now it's bright. Now it's soft. So that you kind of uh, stay awake with it. Stay dialogue with it. In a, in a quiet way, slowly. How is it? How is it? It's called Vitaka Vichara. What's that? How's that? So don't go to sleep in it. Stay in relationship to it. So a bit of quiet investigation helps to just strengthen the measuring mind, manas, the measuring mind, that helps to keep things um, balanced. I think we'll um, pause for a break.